Chapter 11 of The Conquest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Conquest by Oscar Michaud. Dealen and Mules. It must have been about the 20th of April when I finished building. I started to batch and prepared to break out my claim. Having only one horse, it became necessary to buy another team. I decided to buy mules this time. I remembered that back on our farm in southern Illinois, mules were thought to be capable of doing more work than horses and eat less grain. So when some boys living west of me came one Sunday afternoon and said they could sell me a team of mules, I agreed to go and see them the next day. I thought I was getting wise. As proof of such wisdom, I determined to view the mules in a field. I followed them around the field a few times, and although they were not fine-looking, they seemed to work very well. Another great advantage was they were cheap, only $135 for the team and a 14-inch rod breaking plow. This looked to me like a bargain. I wrote him a check and took the mules home with me. Jack and Jenny were their names, and I hadn't owned Jack two days before I began to hate him. He was lazy, and when he went downhill, instead of holding his head up and stepping his front feet out, he would lower the bean and perform a sort of crow-hop. It was too exasperating for words, and I used to strike him viciously for it, but that didn't seem to help matters any. I shall not soon forget my first effort to break prairie. There are different kinds of plows made for breaking the sod. Some kind that are good for one kind of soil cannot be used in another. In the gummy soils of the Decrus, a long slant cut is the best. In fact, about the only kind that can be used successfully, while in the more sandy lands found in parts of Kansas and Nebraska, a kind is used which is called the square cut the share being almost at right angles with the beam instead of slanting back from point to heel. Now in sandy soils this pulls much easier, for the grit scours off any roots, grass, or whatever else would hang over the share. To attempt to use this kind in wet, sticky land, such as was on my claim, would find the soil adhering to the plowshare, causing it to drag, gather roots and grass, until it is impossible to keep the plow in the ground. When it is dry, this kind of plow can be used with success in the gummy land, but it was not dry when I invaded my homestead soil with my big horse, Jack and Jenny, that first day of May, but very wet indeed. To make matters worse, Doc, the big horse, believed in speeding. Jenny was fair, but Jack, on the land side, was affected with hookworm hustle and believed in taking his time. I tried to help him along with a yell that grew louder as I hopped, skipped, and jumped across the prairie, and that plough began hitting and missing, mostly missing. It would gouge into the soil up to the beam, and the big horse would get down and make a mighty pull, while old Jack would swing back like a heavy end of a ball-bat when the player draws to strike, and out would come the plough with a skip, 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 the big horse nearly trotting and dragging the two little mules, that looked like two goats beside an elephant. Well, I sat down and gave up to a fit of blues, for it looked bad, mighty bad for me. I had left St. Louis with two hundred dollars in cash, 
and had drawn a draft for five hundred dollars more on the Chicago bank, where my money was on deposit. And what did I have for it? One big horse, tall as a giraffe, two little mules, one of which was a torment to me, a sod house, an old wagon. As I faced the situation, there seemed nothing to do but to fight it out, and I turned wearily to another attempt, this time with more success. Before I had started breaking, I had invited criticism. Now I was getting it on all sides. I was the only colored homesteader on the reservation, and as an agriculturist it began to look mighty bad for the colored race on the little crow. Finally, with the assistance of dry weather, I got the plow so I could go two or three rods without stopping, throw it out of the ground, and clear the share of roots and grass. Sometimes I managed to go farther, but never over forty rods the entire summer. I took another course in horse trading or mule trading, which almost came to be my undoing. I determined to get rid of Jack. I decided that I would not be aggravated with his laziness and crow-hopping any longer than it took me to find a trade. So, on a Sunday, about two weeks after I bought the team, a horse-trader pulled into Calias, drew his prairie schooner to a level spot, hobbled his horses, mostly old plugs of diverse descriptions, and made preparation to stay a while. He had only one animal, according to my horse sense, that was any good, and that was a mule that he kept blanketed. His camp was so situated that I could watch the mule from my east window, and the more I looked at the mule, the better he looked to me. It was Wednesday noon the following week, and old Jack had become almost unbearable. My continuing to watch a good mule do nothing, while I continued to fret my life away trying to be patient with a lazy brute, only added to my restlessness and eagerness to trade. At noon I entered the barn, and told old Jack I would get rid of him. I would swap him to that horse-trader for his good mule as soon as I watered him. He was looking pretty thin, and I thought it would be to my advantage to fill him up. During the three days the trader camped near my house, he never approached me with an offer to sell or trade, and it was with many misgivings that I called out in a loud, breezy voice and a David Harrow manner, Hello, Governor. How will you trade mules? How'll I trade mules? Did you say how'll I trade mules? Huh? Do you suppose I want your old mule? Drawing up one side of his face and twisting his big red nose until he resembled a German clown. Oh, my mule's fair, I defended weakly. Nothing but an old dead mule, he spit out grabbing old Jack's tail, and giving him a yank that all but pulled him over. "'Look at him! Look at him!' he rattled away like an auctioneer. "'Go on, Mr. Collard Man. You can't work me that way.' He continued stepping around old Jack, making pretensions to hit him on the head. Jack may have been slow on the field, but he was swift in dodging, and he didn't look where he dodged either. I was standing at his side holding the reins when the fellow made one of his wild motions, and Jack nearly knocked my head off as he dodged. Nah, sir, if I considered a trade, that is, if I considered a trade at all, I would have to have a lot of boot, he said with an important air. How much? I asked nervously. Well, sir, 
he spoke with slow decision. I would have to have twenty-five dollars. What? I exclaimed, at which he seemed to weaken. But he didn't understand that my exclamation was of surprise that he only wanted twenty-five dollars when I had expected to give him seventy-five dollars. I grasped the situation, however, and, leaning forward, said, hardly above a whisper, my heart was so near my throat, I will give you twenty, as I pulled out my roll and held a twenty before his eyes, which he took as though afraid I would jerk it away, muttering something about it not being enough, and that he had ought to have had twenty-five. However, he got old Jack and the twenty, gathering his plugs and left town immediately. I felt rather proud of my new possession, but before I got through the field that afternoon I became suspicious. Although I looked my new mule over and over, often during the afternoon while ploughing, I could find nothing wrong. Still, I had a chilly premonition, fostered no doubt by past experience, that something would show up soon, and in a few days it did show up. I learned afterward the trader had come thirty-five miles to trade me that mule. The mule I had traded was only lazy, while the one I had received in the trade was not only lazy, but ornery and full of tricks that she took a fiendish delight in exercising on me. One of her favorites was to watch me out of her left eye, shirking the while and crowding the furrow at the same time, which would pull the plough out of the ground. I tried to coax and cajole her into doing a decent mule's work, but it availed me nothing. I bore up under the aggravation with patience and fortitude, then determined to subdue the mule or become subdued myself. I would lunge forward with my whip, and away she would rush out from under it, brush the other horse and mule out of their places, and throw things into general confusion. Then, as soon as I was again straightened out, she would be back at her old tricks, and I'm almost positive that she used to wink at me impudently from her vantage point. Added to this, the colouring matter with which the trader doped her head faded, and she turned grey-headed in two weeks, leaving me with a mule of uncertain and doubtful age, instead of one of seven going on eight, as the trader represented her to be. I soon had the enviable reputation of being a horse trader. Whenever anybody with horses to trade came to town, they were advised to go over to the sod-house north of town and see the colored man. He was fond of trading horses. Yes, he fairly doted on it. Nevertheless, with all my poor horse judgment, I continued to turn the sod over day after day, and completed ten or twelve acres each week. End of chapter 11